if anyone's unable to see the projector, the reading is coming from James 1, beginning in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're going to be in James chapter 1 this morning. Uh, good to have you here. Hope everybody's been doing well again. Uh, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll probably come back around to talk about prayer again sometime in the future, but I felt like now's a good time to go ahead and introduce our series on the book of James. We're going to be studying through this uh, for the next maybe couple of months. Um, James is an interesting book, and we're just going to kind of give a sense of the book in today's lesson as we study it together, uh, and thinking about spirituality and religion. Uh, a lot of times people think of those as two different things, uh, and they don't really see as much of a connection between them, uh, or at least we don't really talk about the, co the connection between them and the, uh, how they correspond to one another. So today our purpose is going to be to see that, to see how they correspond together, how they join together. Uh, as Roger uh, so well put it in the beginning, uh, before he led any songs, Jesus told the woman by the well, uh, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, and that's our goal, right? That's our desire. That should be what we're seeking after because uh, we want to be long to God. We want to make God happy. We want to please God. That's ultimately what life is is all about. And so as we open up the book of James, we're going to see a wonderful opportunity to learn from the brother of Jesus. James is not just uh, one of the main figures in the New Testament, one of the leaders of the church, but he is also the brother of Jesus, who whenever Jesus was in his ministry on earth, was struggling and wrestling with believing that Jesus was the Christ, the man who uh, was a little boy with him who he grew up beside and probably spent more time with than anyone else. James struggled with this and trying to understand this. But we can believe that he knew more about Jesus probably than anybody. And he probably understood more about who he was and what he, what he did and how he lived and how he thought than anybody having spent so much time with him and, and just the characteristics of him would have been known by James. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us to look at this epistle. Uh, sometimes people like to take this epistle and just remove it. They don't, it doesn't line up with their theology, and they don't really enjoy it or appreciate it very much. But as I open it, I see a wonderful uh, explanation of the life that is pleasing to God, the life that is religious and spiritual. Uh, and those two things are joined together. The life that is lived in a way that worships God in spirit and in truth. And that's what I see as I study this. We're going to jump ahead to verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. I feel like this is kind of a key section in the book uh, to kind of set the stage for the overall idea and picture of the book. Because what does it mean to be... Uh, a worshiper of God who pleases God? What does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to be spiritual? These kinds of questions are going to be answered here. Uh, Brandon just read it. We're going to read it a few times probably to make sure this sinks in. It says in verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious 
and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice in this text that James describes for us a worthless religion. Isn't that interesting? Don't you want to know what is a worthless religion to make sure that you're not engaged in worthless religion? I mean, who wants to be in, engaged in that? And I mean, we've got people around us who don't want anything to do with religion because they kind of see it all as worthless. And, and maybe sometimes we ignore the fact that some religion and religious acts can be, worship, can be worthless. Well, James is telling us and describing for us what that looks like helping us understand what worthless religion really looks like. And how does he describe worthless religion? But he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. He points to the tongue and he says, if you are not bridling your tongue, your religion is worthless. Ah, so here's the solution. To have pure and undefiled and good religion, you just need to be a monk and move into a monastery and not speak ever again. That solves that problem. No more worthless religion for you. No, of course not. We see in this that the, the tongue is being used to help us understand that religion is about more than these sacred acts that, that we engage in, isn't it? It's not, it's not about the time that you gather together and the, the uh, way that you dress yourself, and, and it's not even necessarily about the particular acts that you choose to do in worship and things like that. It's not the main thing that makes your religious worth something or the main thing that if you mess up makes your religion worthless. He says what makes your religion worthless is how you're living your life. Your daily behavior makes your religion worthless. He's telling us that if our daily behavior, the way we interact with people, the way we speak to people, is unchanged by the grace that God has given to us, then it doesn't matter how right our little acts of worship are. All that we're doing is vain worship. We're serving God with our mouths and not with our hearts. Notice how he points to the heart. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, that out of the heart come these words that we speak. They're just overflowing out of our heart. And if the, the, the mouth is unbridled, if you're not restraining and restricting the things that you're saying, you're letting all of that go because you don't care about the effect and the impact that those words are having on the people around you that's causing this great fire of destruction, then your religious acts are worthless. 
and your heart is deceived into thinking you're good and righteous and, and follower of God, while at the same time your heart is serving yourself and worshiping yourself. And so in this one verse, James is calling for us to evaluate and examine our hearts to see whether we are truly following Christ and living for God or not. If you're like me, tongue is something that is a continual work in progress. And we're going to look at that. We're going to get to chapter 3, and we're just going to really see the tongue being talked about a lot, and we're going to think about it. But it's this continual work in progress. So him pointing to that, of course, makes sense. It's, it's, it's at the heart of everything and everybody. There's nobody who is escaping the dangers of the tongue. And if we are not working on that and becoming changed in our behavior and the way that we interact with people, then he's telling us, there's something wrong. You may have all this religious stuff lined up in your life. You may attend every time the doors are open, but there's something wrong. There's something deeper and more meaningful that needs to happen in our worship, in our religion. Something spiritual that has to change. It may be that we're, we're, we're making religion Everything and the external acts, everything, but there's an internal shift and change that never takes place. He's saying that is worthless. We need to be aware of that. Then he goes into worthwhile religion. Religion that is valuable, that is good, that God is pleased with in verse 27. And he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Not what we'd expect. Again, religion that is pure and undefiled is this, attending this congregation with this name outside the building and with these different acts and doing all of these things in all of these different ways. That is pure and undefiled religion. That is in spirit and truth. He says, no, that's not that's not what's in picture. Religion that is pure and undefiled is visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, what does that mean? Stop by, say hey, and then leave? <laughs> the idea of visit has more meaning than that. Uh, whenever we read that word of visit in, the, in other parts of the New Testament, it's interesting. Uh, back in Luke, whenever uh, Jesus has come, the very beginning of the book of Luke. Uh, they're excited about Jesus coming and they're talking about God visiting them. Uh, verse 68 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 78, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So this picture that God has visited his people as Jesus has come to earth to help us who are weak and lowly and afflicted and unable to do things that we need to be able to do. That's the picture that he has visited us. Is not saying he stopped by, he said, hey, he saw all our problems, and he said, good luck with that, and he went about doing his own thing. But it was that he came and he took care of and tended to our needs. Well, notice he says, 
pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To visit them. To go to them as they are in their affliction. Now you think about orphans, no father, no mother. Uh, In our system, there are hundreds every month, every week maybe. There are thousands of children in the foster care systems looking for adoption, looking for someone to come and to help them. Those children have no mommy and daddy to read stories to them at night, to tuck them in, to make them feel safe and loved and secured. They have no uh, training that's being done by mommy or daddy to help them understand the way they should live in the future and, and how to have a good life. They have no encouragement on a daily basis, nobody thinking about them, worrying about them, caring about their future, making sure they make it to all the camps and all the fun stuff, making sure all their schoolwork's done so that everything goes well for them. They don't have any of that. And they're just out there, maybe hungry, maybe struggling, wondering if anybody loves them, wondering if anybody will visit them and help them in their affliction. We have widows. We've had widows in this congregation. We still have widows in this congregation. I wanted to jump to this mainly because Willa Dean just passed away. And Willa Dean was a widow indeed. She was a woman who lost her her children, lost her husband. Nearest family is hours away. Don't seem to really care that much or pay much attention to her. And yet, there are members of this congregation who visited her. In the fullest sense of the word. They went to her. They took care of her. All the issues and the struggles that older people would typically have with figuring out all the medical decisions and the technologies and the, uh, the, the financial stuff that she had to deal with to, to just live. People took time out of their busy lives to spend with Willa Dean and make sure that everything she needed was provided for as much as they possibly could. That's pure and undefiled religion. That's what God had in mind when he saved us. That's what he finds joy in and and he's pleased with. God finds this important. He's always found this important. You go in the Old Testament and you see time and again... He cares about the orphan. He cares about the widow, the fatherless, the widow. Uh, All of those who are struggling and vulnerable and in need. His greatest desire is for his people who are blessed to use their blessings to serve them. And to take care of them. So is that important to us? If our religion is going to be a worthwhile religion, then it's not about the acts of spiritual service, of praising God and and doing all these things that we do on a weekly basis, as much as it's about this. We have a compassion, a mercy, a love that reaches out to people who are in the greatest need, not looking for benefit. Those people who sacrificed those hours weren't hoping Willa Dean would include her in the will. Include them in the will. That wasn't what they were looking for. They weren't out to get something from her. 
They were simply providing the grace and the mercy that they, they themselves had received. Is that our attitude? Is that our mindset? It needs to be. In whatever ministry that we're in, that mindset has to be there that we're here to serve people who are not as well off as we are. We're not here to serve ourselves. That is worthwhile religion. That's what God is looking for. And that's what James is trying to get people to see and understand. Maybe they're getting all wrapped up in the religious acts and they're losing sight of what's really important. But he doesn't just say that. He also says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure and undefiled religion includes keeping oneself unstained from the world. Now, the world in this sense is not talking about the physical world, but it's talking, and it's not talking about the physical people of the world touching us and making us unclean or anything like that. But it's talking about the, the theologies, the ideologies, the mentalities, the attitudes, the, the, the relationships with sin and sinful practices and the things that this world so often engages in. It's talking about allowing those things to come into our minds and our hearts and make us defiled and impure. And he says, religion that is pure and undefiled does not allow for those thoughts and those ways to infiltrate and to take over. Purity. We, we all have purity from Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us, makes us white as snow, makes us pure. But notice how James says, you're, you're supposed to keep yourself that way. Remember, I was younger, I'd read that, and I was like, oh man, what do I do if I mess that up? Well, the blood of Christ is still there. But you see in this the statement that you're not supposed to just go about living this carefree life and doing whatever you want to do and enjoying whatever you can enjoy and, and taking on whatever thoughts and attitudes the rest of the people around you have because that allows you to live the most comfortable life possible. But you see that we're supposed to pursue the purity of life. It means we're different from everybody else. We're not like everybody else who's been corrupted. We're not allowing ourselves to love and to pursue the things that are in this world. James tells us that the Christians he's writing to have that very issue going on in their lives. Look over at chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in? In us. Notice he, he's making it very clear that the people have passions for the things that are in this world and he calls them adulterers. That is not pure and undefiled religion if, if they're pursuing the things of this world with passion, with drive, as though those things are the most important things in their lives. They've adopted the attitudes, they've adopted the, the theologies, the ideologies, the way of 
of, of pursuing things in this life that everybody else in the world has. And James says, you've been stained by that. You're adulterers. You're adulteresses. Because you've pursued all of those things. And God is not pleased with that pursuit. You see, instead, worthwhile religion is willing to set aside the carefree life. Yeah, maybe while you were wrapped up in your sins, you were just enjoying the carefree life. You were just putting on the attitude that everybody else has. We seize the day. We do all the fun things we can do. And then at the end of the day, we pray to God to ask him to give us forgiveness for all those things so that we can still stay pure. But you see in that, that heart is not the heart that God desires from us. Verse 7, he tells us to escape from that. Verse 7 of chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. All these words from James to those who have allowed themselves to become impure. They pursued the ways of the world. He says, humble yourselves. Submit yourselves fully to God and run away from Satan and all of his temptations. You see in that, don't live a carefree life anymore. Care about sin. Care about what is evil and deceptive and impure. Care about what God really wants you to do. And be sure to pursue that and reject all those evil things. We live in a time when the world is pushing us and pushing us and pushing us to just be okay with the sins that are going on. Just tolerate them. Just say, oh, it's no big deal. And just let it get a little closer to you. And let it get a little closer to you. And get, get a little closer to you until you're adopting the mindset and the thoughts and the ways of all the people around you. And James is trying to tell us, if you want to have a worthwhile religion, you must remove yourself from those things and purify yourself and purify your life. That is pleasing to God. He is yearning for our hearts to love him enough to reject all of those things. Just imagine a spouse who is just pouring himself out to his, to his wife, trying to get her to love him, and she's constantly pursuing other men, and we're just like, no, just, just us, and oh, I'm just friends with them. No, come be friends with me. I love you. I want to give you everything. Be holy mine. Be pure to me, and I'll love you back. That's the picture that we get. Pure and undefiled religion. That's what it looks like. A lot of times I hear people say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And as we study this, we see what James is talking about. We can kind of see how that doesn't really make sense. I mean, it kind of does. I understand where they're going. They've been around people who are just so focused on the religious acts and they've had no desire to be spiritually focused. They don't really love God or love his people. They're not really living the life that God has called them to live. They're just doing a bunch of religious acts and calling themselves 
pure and undefiled religion. And that's not what we're after. We really want to please God. And what James is doing right here is he's helping us understand how religion and spirituality mesh together. They're intertwined together. They're not separate and distinct, but they're together. That religion is not just about accepting traditions and practicing all the traditional things that we've always done. I mean, there is, there is some of that, obviously, in the New Testament. They didn't just wander about and say, I'm spiritual but not religious, and I don't do any religious practices at all that are you know, traditional acts and, and things of that nature. I don't gather with God's people at all. That's not how they were in the first century. There was religion in the sense of the spiritual acts, but it was spiritual. There was a spiritual dimension to their religion, and that elevated their religion, and it resulted in an internal transformation and a life that is faithful to the will of God. You see how they're supposed to be joined together, not separate. It's not either or. It's both or else neither. You're not really religious. You're not really spiritual if you're not religious and spiritual. Spirituality is not a departure from religion, but the heart of religion. So what does your religion look like? What is your religion? What does it look like? Are you spiritual? But not religious? Are you religious? But not spiritual? You see, both of those are worthless. Because Jesus died for us. We'll go back to this again and again and again. We're willing to worship God in spirit and in truth because of what Jesus did for us. He died not so that we could go through a bunch of religious acts weekly. They were doing that for centuries before he died. He died so that we could have pure spiritual religion. At the heart of everything that we do, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day of our lives. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And so we need to let our religion be more than a set of rituals. Not just going to church. That's how we started off the year, right? Don't go to church. Stop going to church. Start being the church. Stop doing a bunch of religious acts and start living the life that is religious. That shows compassion and love and mercy for those who will not benefit you at all. Let your heart be transformed by the gospel, by the word of God, the love of God that comes to us through the word that we share together as we study the Bible together. Let it transform who we are beyond just a few little habits that we put in. If you think becoming a Christian means I go to church, that is not what becoming a Christian is. It's about a transformed life. And if you look around and you pay attention, you'll see it in quite a few people who are in this room. 
that they've been transformed. If you stick around long enough, you'll see more people who do that. Some of these people that you see have been transformed for so long, you're just thinking, oh, they've always been that way. I've had my brother say that. Oh, that's, that's just the way you are. That's just the things that you like to do. And I'm just like, I don't like <laughs> re- rebelling against the world. It's not an easy thing. I love it because I'm serving God and I care about God, but I don't like uh, not being foolish. I wish I could be foolish in this way. It'd be great. It'd be a lot of fun, but I don't really want to do that because I love God. It's not just because that's who I am and I have no pull or no temptation, but there are people in this congregation, this this room, who understand that pursuing those temptations is against the will of God, and they seek to please God with all that they do. They are religious and very spiritual. And that's our goal. And our immaturity, we're not going to get there as soon as we come out of the waters of baptism. But that's where we're moving toward. Greater spirituality. Greater service to one another. And greater focus on standing for what's pure and right and true. And becoming a light for the world around us to see. So I hope that this helps you as we, as we study the book of James. We're going to see some very practical advice on how to be truly religious and spiritual and glorify and honor God as he has called us to. He's going to make it very clear that if we're the kind of people who are double-minded, who are saying, I love God, but I also love this world, we're not living the life that shows the works of God, that shows a transformed heart, then our religion is worthless and our faith is dead. There's no relationship. We're going to try to avoid that at all costs. We don't want to be that way. You're investing the time in coming to services. Why not be affected by it? Why not be changed and transformed? Tonight we're going to have a lesson that's actually going to correspond with this. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6. And it's a very interesting text where he talks about how Israel kept listening but not hearing or understanding. They kept seeing but not perceiving They just let it all go in and let it all go out, and they never were affected by any of it. They didn't have the true religion that we read about we're supposed to have. So make sure that you have that, and I hope you can be back tonight as we study on. If you're here this morning and you've not yet received the grace of God, that opportunity is made available to you. God is willing to provide the blood of Christ to cleanse you of all of your sins, and he will be patient with you in all of your immaturities, as you seek a life of purity. You're not going to get there immediately. It's going to be a long process. Uh, And as you seek a life of service, willing to give your time and your efforts and your abilities to serve and minister to those around you who maybe will not provide you any benefit for all that you do. God will train you in that and help you in that. And ultimately, you'll, you'll shine a light for his glory in response to all the grace that he's given you. If there's anybody here who needs any help in beginning your walk or anybody who needs any encouragement as you're struggling, please come as we stand and as we sing.